and you get some old video of Tom Vu. Anyways, little Vietnamese guy. And he was hilarious. He used to say, he used to say like, uh, you lose, or you friends, <laughs> you friends say you lose, uh, come to my seminar, but we make you lots of money. And <laughs> Always the, with the Rolls Royce, right? Yeah, I with think. the Rolls Royce and the, the girls. He always had girls in bikinis yeah. everywhere he went. It was completely insane. So this inspired you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this loser can do it. Anybody can. And- Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 13, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. On Fire is a weekly podcast where we discuss financial independence, life hacking, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. Do you like this podcast? Do you love this podcast? Then why not make it official and declare your love for this podcast by leaving a written review on iTunes? This episode is brought to you by the Ontario Real Estate Conference 2018, or OREC 2018. It's a two-day event being held at the London Convention Centre in Canada on May 26th and May 27th. If you wanted a chance to come out to meet a bunch of other previous guests, this would be your opportunity. Guys like Graham Stephan, Jeff Weibo, Michael Rosehart, Dan Warren, and a ton of others. Check out their website at orec2018.com. They've also offered a discount code for on-fire listeners. So check it out and use the coupon code LDN on fire to drop the price to 50 bucks for the weekend. Full disclosure, I'm the host of OREC 2018 and this advertisement only cost me $50 right now because no one else has been against me. If you're interested in being a future sponsor, slide into our DMs on Instagram at on fire podcast. Today's guest, Dan DeVoe, is a real estate investor in Sarnia, Ontario. If the idea of owning an abandoned water park that somehow still cash flows intrigues you, you'll want to listen to this episode. Dan has some hesitations when it comes to the idea of lean fire, but I'd be lying if I said that a loftier goal of $10 million doesn't intrigue me. I love how honest and open Dan was in this episode with sharing his whole life backstory. Our audience is in for a real treat. Let's dive into the interview with Dan DeVoe. All right. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Happy yeah, to have you. Welcome, Dan. Awesome. And so one of the first things we would like to do on the podcast, just kind of jump into your backstory, get back to the roots. Just kind of lay it out for us. I know you've kind of had a pretty interesting story. Even the story on how you got into real estate investing was kind of interesting. Uh, the idea of no money down buying all that. So uh, just paint us a picture. You're based out of Sarnia, Ontario. Yeah, I have a in, insane story to tell you the truth. I used to drink a ton, you know, like weekends, party hard, work hard, play hard, that kind of stuff. I went to, I decided to go to university after doing a bunch of crappy jobs. I said, you know what, I got to do something with my life. So I said, I'm, I'm going to university. So I didn't realize it was going to take so long, but the whole process took, I was in school for eight years. Oh, wow. I was in college for three and university for five. So I kind of just stayed in that whole academia, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I took art. I figured if I took art, it'd be easy. You get paid a lot, right? He was going to be an art teacher. I got out of school, couldn't get a job as an art teacher. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll do construction for a living. And I did that construction job for about two years. And then I guess you could say is the best thing that ever happened to me, but I squashed a disc in my back. And I was out of commission for six months. I had to get back surgery. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I thought it would heal slow. I mean, I, I thought I was going to be healed in a couple of months. The doctor said, it's going to take six months to be back on your feet. And of course, I said, I'm going to be fixed in two. I'll prove everybody wrong and I'll be running around in two months. It took me about four months, actually. But to me, that was a long time. So I thought I was going to be healed fast. So I got healed up. I left that job and ended up moving back to Sarnia. That was in Toronto. I moved back to Sarnia. Living in my dad's 
stinky, nasty basements <laughs> because I, I had no money. I had to do something. Living in this basement, it was horrible. It was all depressed down in this basement. And one night I was watching TV, probably all pissed up. At three in the morning, one of those late night infomercials came on. This little Vietnamese guy named Tom Vu. You guys probably don't know who Tom Vu is. But anyway, you have to Google who Tom Vu is. You have to YouTube and you get some old video of Tom Vu. Anyway, it's a little Vietnamese guy. And he was hilarious. He used to say, he used to say like, uh, you lose, or you friends, <laughs> you friends say you lose, uh, come to my seminar, but we make you lots of money. <laughs> And always the, with the Rolls Royce, right? Yeah, with the Rolls Royce and the the girls. They always had girls in bikinis yeah. everywhere he went. It was completely insane. So this inspired you, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> this loser can do it. Anybody can. And for our audience, this was Ty Lopez before Ty Lopez was a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it was. Yeah. So listening to this guy, it was quite funny, and I got this whatever epiphany that I was gonna do this. And the funny part is, is that the next day I go out there and I'm actually driving around and sure enough, I see a sign on a yard that says, will finance. And I thought, I wonder if this is what he was talking about. And sure enough, I called the number on the phone. I actually took a picture of that will finance sign. I actually still have it to this day. That was like 15 years ago. I still have that picture. So I have the picture of the will finance sign. I called the guy and said, you know, like, listen, what is this? Is this like a rent own or is this a lease option? Like mm-hmm. I, you know, told him. The guy said, uh, yeah, you know, and sure enough, I ended up buying this house. Luckily for me, luckily for me, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And back then there was a lot of people out there preying on people who didn't know what the hell yeah. they were doing. And they would, and they still do it today, obviously. Absolutely. We all know somebody who, who's in that racket. They just mm-hmm. get somebody in the house. They, they have never no intention of ever person ever buying the place. Yeah. They're there for a year. They tell them that like this guy told me every story in the book, right? All the bullshit stories this guy told me. If you fix up this house really nice, then the bank will give you a mortgage. If you, you know, every bullshit story he told me. I fixed up the house. You know, I spend probably $30,000, $40,000 on the house in this, in this two-year span I had. At the end of this lease option that I had... I didn't realize it, and this is stupid, but, it, you know, of course, I was the stupid person at the time, not knowing any of these things. I went to the bank. I had a job. I figured they'll give me a mortgage. Well, I still had a student loan at the time. I still owed about maybe 15 grand on my student loan. Well, sure enough, the bank said no, and I was blown away. And, of course, this is a month before this thing came due. Oh, no. Perfect timing for this guy. So I called him up and said, I can't get a mortgage. And he said, well, you're going to have to get a mortgage or else uh, we're going to kick you out. And I had no idea. I don't even know if the guy even told me that part. But after that, so I had a month to find a mortgage. And the funny thing is, is so I looked everywhere. I went to, went to every bank, uh, couldn't get a mortgage. And then I ended up lying to <laughs> RBC Bank and told them I didn't have a student loan. And back then, they didn't check. Are you serious? Yeah. Luckily for me. Another world. Oh, I waited on pins and needles. I don't know. It was divine intervention or something. But anyway, so I did. I got a mortgage through RBC. Anyway, that led to... So I got that mortgage. That basically saved me. I took that $30,000. I ended up selling the house. And I took that $30,000. And I parlayed that into... I bought a strip mall. I convinced a guy to hold a mortgage on a strip mall. Actually, the reason I ended up actually even looking for the strip mall is because I still had the little construction business going and I needed some warehouse space. And there was this crappy 
strip mall and it had a warehouse in it. And I thought, well, I'd go try to rent, mm-hmm. rent the space. It was a really bad property, five buildings. It had a bunch of apartments and stuff. And anyway, I wanted to rent this space. He wanted a thousand bucks a month, I think, to rent this warehouse. I convinced him. I said, well, listen, why don't you just sell the plaza to me? And I knew that this guy wouldn't be able to sell it to anybody else because it was so run down. And I convinced him to hold a mortgage, basically the exact same lease option I did with the house, right? On a, on a strip mall. On a strip mall. <laughs> and the wow. funny thing is, is that that strip mall, it's insane when you think about the numbers today, but that strip mall I paid 325000 for. It's probably worth a million today. It's been 15 years, mind you. Wow. But that's a pretty good... Build up of equity. Do you recall the the terms of that? Like how much did you have to put down on that? Yeah. So I had to put, all I had was 30,000 when I sold my house. So I told the guy, this is, this is all I had, 30,000. He wanted a lot more down, but I convinced him to do the 30,000. It actually took six months to, to convince the guy because yeah. he didn't want to do it. Um, That's less than 10%. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty close to that 10%, but he wasn't going to sell it to anybody else. Yeah. And I ended up, you know, what's so crazy. And I think about Now, I've actually told the story a few times, and I think, this is how crazy this is. I bought the plaza with $30,000. I'd sell my house, so I have nowhere to live. Mm -hmm. Okay, $30,000 is all I have, all the money I have, no money in the bank. I still have my student loan. I uh, buy this plaza. It has, you know, like it's completely falling apart. It's a total wreck. I have all these bad tenants. Uh, Half of it's empty. I have no money to fix up this place. And I never even thought of it. <laughs> never even thought of it once. I thought, I'll just fix this place up. It literally needed a half a million dollars in repairs. And I bought this place with no money, thinking that eventually, I, I don't know what I was thinking. How insane is that? Right? <laughs> that now, if you did, see, that's the shit that if you did that stuff today, right, those are the guys that are getting ahead, the, the ones that are just literally rolling the dice with every purchase and they just go bigger, bigger, bigger because I don't know the universe, whatever you want to call it always finds a way. I think if you're hardworking, yeah. you're honest, yeah. creative, like I said, you put in the work. If I was the guy who was just sitting on the couch, goofing off, hope, hoping that this thing was going to turn around or whatever. I mean, I busted my ass like this plaza. I busted my ass day and night. Cause I, I literally had to work all day, my regular job. And then at night, uh, and on weekends, I'd be out there busting my ass trying to, you know, fix up this plaza. And if you can imagine trying to fix up this gigantic plaza, like it had six, five or six buildings, like I said, 17 apartments, a bunch wow. of commercial. I mean, it's a massive plaza. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about parking lots, you know, parking lots, you know, minimum 50, 100 grand, roof. Every bathroom was old claw tub, you know, claw foot tub. Like every, you know, you guys know renovations pretty good. Like all the plumbing was all cast cast iron, all knob and tube wiring, all, I mean, it was, it was insane. And then, yeah, and I, I never even did, I literally didn't figure it out on paper, any expenses, any, anything. Like I literally just went and bought a plaza. This is a don't do this at home. <laughs> yes, this is an absolute don't do this at home. I literally did not figure out one calculation. I just went to the you guy and said, mean- I got 30 grand. Can I buy this plaza? Like literally. Before you knew the meaning of due diligence. <laughs> yes, I didn't. I didn't count how much income was coming in. I didn't count anything. 
I literally just gave this guy $30,000 and, and a week later, I had this plaza. So what, what happened to this long term? Do you still own this property? Yeah, I still own it. Yeah, my office is in there right now. Wow. Yeah, like I said, it's worth probably a million dollars right now. So you just, by sheer hard work, just hard like, work. Stay, work hard at your work, day job? determination. You know, I mean, I knew, I mean, obviously I knew there was some cash flow because I had about, I'd probably say I had about maybe 10 tenants back then yeah and so it's uh, some was, income yeah and i was getting it for such a ridiculous mm-hmm. low yeah. amount of money that i thought well i i i, I can't screw this up yeah but i did no due diligence zero <laughs> none i mean there could have been you know stuff from the city on there there could have been back taxes there could have been anything like i literally could have just shot shot myself right there but so um, fast forward from then when is it that you because you were working at a job at that time but at some point since the, from then till now you stopped working at your day job so what was the story there well I actually only stopped doing that um, I never really stopped because I had my construction business I stopped that about uh, five years ago and then I basically just stopped doing my construction business and started flipping houses yeah so that's basically what I did so I just kept on working. And I've always sort of the property management portion of that. I just sort of learned as they went along. And then eventually you just add employees and. So you were kind of self-employed right from the beginning. Yeah. You know, even my construction business. Yeah. I've basically been self-employed. If you don't mind, Dan, kind of just fill in some details for the audience. So at what age did you go back to school? I was about 21 when I went to college. And then so you kind of wrapped up late 20s, around 30. Yeah. Yeah. And then. When did you buy that first house? That was around... I was 34, about there. Okay. And I had it for, I think, about close to two years. So around like 36, 37, I think I bought the plaza. When you dived into the plaza? Okay, interesting. Yeah, which is, you know, I mean, really, that's sort of late to the game, right? 37. It it isn't, isn't, right? Like, there's so many people that literally never get into the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I I thought back then, I thought, you know, like, wow, this is really late. And I was actually, at that time, sounds crazy, but even in my late 30s, I was paranoid about my, even though I spent money like crazy and I had this, you know, crazy lifestyle I was living, in the back of my mind, I always had this, oh, my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to retire? How how am I going to retire? How am I going to, and I actually, you know, you know, briefly looked into the whole investing, you know, there's really only, you know, you can make money in real estate. You can make it in on some in stocks or, you know, or saving. Who the hell wants to save? <laughs> I don't want to save my way to anything, right? You know, I don't want to be skipping my Tim Hortons today because, oh no, it's not on my, you know, I have to save. I, I just don't have that mentality. I would just rather try to think of a way to make more money. And so how long did you live in your dad's basement? Did you move out? I was, the plaza I was there. Yeah, I was there for about six months. I was there for six months. I'm trying to think exactly how that went down. I was there for about six months. I remember actually, you know, the funny thing is, is that I had, I had a couple of God moments, which I'm not a, the God, I'm not a religious guy at all. Like, you know, and today I'm still not a religious guy, but I had a couple of God moments, which was kind of crazy. So when I wrecked my back the first time around, so I squished a disc in my back. I had to get back surgery. So I went and got back surgery. I was telling you earlier that I thought I should be well and running around in two mm-hmm. months. And the doctor said, you're going to be six months. Well, after one month, I was thinking, oh my God, they must have botched the surgery or something because I, I you know, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent better. <laughs> I was literally hobbling around like I could hardly move. Wow. And I thought, but this is only after a month, right? That's the way you're supposed to be. It was pretty, pretty major surgery. 
after about, I don't know, some, like around three months into this thing, I was really starting to get paranoid. Like, oh my God, I think my back could be screwed mm-hmm. up for life. It got really bad. It was like a low point. You know, like I seriously hit a low point. I had to start selling off my stuff. I sold my truck. I sold whatever crap I had. So I was hit, like literally hitting bottom. And one day I'm laying in bed and I literally do one of those, God, help me out of this one of these deals. And I said, God, I cannot do this another day. This has to be fixed by tomorrow. This is literally what I said. (laughs) This has to be fixed by tomorrow or else I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, like one of those stupid things that you would say. But I, I remember saying it. The next day, no word of a lie, I was healed. It was this craziest freaking thing. I got out of bed the next day and I knew something was different because, you know, normally you get out of bed and, you know, you, well, I was, I'd get out of bed and I could barely, you know, like you have to like almost lift one leg, put it out, lift the other leg. And uh, like I said, I'm not a religious guy and I don't say, oh, start praying to God for money or something right now. But anyway, so that was one moment. So I was literally, I felt like a million bucks after Mm. that. Mind you, I still had to go live in my dad's basement, but health wise, I was... (laughs) I was, I was fine. If you don't have your health, right? That's everything. So another funny story about the God thing. This is another God, weird <laughs> God thing. So I'm in my dad's basement. It sucks. Sucks huge. I have no money. There's no work going on. There's, you know, anyway, and I'm depressed. And I said, one of those, you know, a, a low moment again, said, God, you got to figure something out because this isn't, this isn't my life. I know whatever age I was there, my twenties, I was thinking, this isn't my life. You got to get me out of this freaking mess. Sure enough, the next day, no joke, no joke, there was a gigantic hailstorm in a little town that was about 15 minutes away, and literally every house in the entire town got hail damage. So every house in the entire town pretty much got a new roof, siding, a lot of them had smashed windows, that's how bad it was. Oh my God. Okay, and then at the time I was doing construction and my specialty was doing siding. And I had called all these siding companies and roofing companies looking for a job for months and nobody, nobody wanted anything done. Nobody wanted to hire me. I literally picked up the phone that after that hailstorm, the very next day I called first guy said, you know, I'll pay you whatever it was, you know, it was a huge amount of money uh, to start doing houses. And I thought, well, I, I got to call everybody else and we'll see. And every time I made a phone call, it was like, well, this guy's paying me, you know, 300 uh, square or whatever. What are you paying? He's like, well, I'll pay you four. And I say, well, get back right back to you. And I call the next guy and I say, well, they're paying four. Would you? He'll say, I'll pay you five. Anyway, I made so much money in that next year. It was insane. Like it no was just, way. yeah, I made probably a hundred grand that uh, in, in like six months just working. And I, and that was great. And that helped me get out of that mess there. But Wow. Yeah. So anyway, there's my God God stories. But no, I'm not a religious guy and it was just a and, weird thing. But So one thing I kind of want to highlight, Dan, and feel free to correct me if you disagree, but you say that you're not really big into saving. Yeah. And yet we're talking about you living in your dad's basement, which you found to be a very undesirable situation. Yes. But that was allowing you to save up money, right? And then afterwards, you moved into your plaza. And it sounds like the plaza was definitely probably not your ideal living situation at that time either. So even if you don't necessarily recognize it as savings, I think that you've always been more than capable of delayed gratification. Yes, yes and no. Actually, I had no choice. So let's let's put it that way. I literally had no choice. You can't say I didn't choose to save. So that's a big difference. You, I, you're, you're forced into a situation almost. I was forced into a situation where I had no money. So there's a di- big difference between saving on purpose and having no money. 
right? And, yeah. And I would, yeah, I'm not a, like I said, I'm not that kind of guy. Actually, one of the funny things is that I'm so crazy with my money blowing it all the time that that was one of the things that I, that I figured out, you know, before the big Tom Vu moment, mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out how on earth, because I hated saving, how on earth am I going to figure out a way to make money and still have that same sort of mentality? And one of the ways to do that is later on, I didn't start doing this until later on, after I had about four or five properties, I started to get the, get the idea how this worked using the burst strategy, by the way, we'll get to that in a minute. But what I figured is spending money is sort of in that whole gratification that comes with that. It's something in your personality, right? You're either a saver or you're a spender and you have that in your personality. Well, I'm a, I'm a spender. So I sort of did a hack to myself. Yeah. And what I would do is I would save up money and then dump it on a house. Mm-hmm. So you still get that gratification that you're spending money on something. Yeah. yeah. Except the thing you're spending money on is making you money. Yeah. I've actually brought that up before. You're so, I get so sick of swiping my credit card at like Rona, Home Depot, Lowe's that like, I don't want to spend money yeah. anymore. It scratches that itch more than I ever want it to. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah, sick of spending like money. a spending fatigue from it. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's very different than I'm going to put a thousand dollars into my bank account and now it's a thousand bucks higher. It's different to like, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars and increase the value of my property by a certain amount or, or I'm going to buy a rental property and put my money into that. It's definitely a different mentality. You get a high saving, offer, right? Yeah, you get off on it. I mean, yeah, the the chasing the deal, right? Mm-hmm. We all love chasing the deal. That's the best part of the whole real estate game. I don't know. I find anyway yeah, chasing the deal. Right? So, what if we change the word from saving to investing? Like, is investing something that you enjoy doing? Taking your money and rather than spending it, you put it into investments. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, uh, just don't call it that. Yeah. <laughs> just don't call it saving. <laughs> yeah. Who the hell wants that? Yeah. There's nothing sexy about saving. There's really nothing sexy. And about so saving. do you enjoy backing yourself into a corner? Cause it sounds like multiple times you've kind of backed yourself into a corner in order to really force yourself to grow or to learn. Or well, to- that's actually, for me, it's actually self-sabotaging behavior is mm-hmm. what it is. I have literally just rolled the dice on countless projects over the last 10, 15 years that could have ended up in disaster. And because I'm willing to put in the work to fix it as I go. Yeah. It doesn't become a disaster. Yeah. I would not recommend investing. That is a terrible investing philosophy. It's just running out there, buying stuff willy nilly, not doing your due diligence and figuring no matter how bad it is, I can fix it. No, but that's actually what I did though, literally for 10 years. I don't do that now, mm-hmm. but for the first 10 years that I invested, that's all I did. I wouldn't even crunch any numbers. I would walk through the house. My first 10 properties I bought, I didn't write one thing down. Oh my God. I literally just walked in, looked around, said, what do you pay for rent and what do you and whatever? And and I would say, okay, that's uh, two grand a month. Uh yeah, you know, I, and I would just say, yeah, okay, let's do this. And I would just buy the house. No, no, no math, no math. No <laughs> and then you would just get no the hang of math. doing that. And you would, yeah, you would really get the hang of actually doing that because I could, like, I had been in construction. So I sort of, I knew what a, you know, if a house was really needed a lot of work, I would, in my head, I could figure out, okay, this needs, this place needs about 50,000 of work. I could literally do that in 10 minutes Yeah, where a lot of people 
couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd know that it needed knob and tube, or I'd know that, it, you know, little things like that I could figure out quickly. Yeah. But for the first 10 deals, I didn't even bother doing that. I just, I mean, I stepped on some landmines, you know, but I never lost money in the first, the first 10 years. I've actually only lost money in the last five. And that's because some of the, when you're learning new things sometimes, like flipping houses, you know, I've lost a little bit of money flipping houses here and there. And, you know, that's part of the learning curve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important. Like I've talked to a few different aspiring real estate investors and told them, look, you can go, you can spend $10,000, $20,000 paying that coach, paying that guru, or look at spending ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in tuition at the University of Hard Knocks. Mm-hmm. And you can go and like, even if you don't make money on your first spur or your first flip, as long as you don't lose your shirt... You should be able to walk away with some pretty good life lessons. You will learn mm-hmm. so much more. And and if you like have a network of people you can go to and ask all these questions, you go through a three, four month renovation, you're going to learn way more, I think, than you would from just talking to somebody. Well, ideally, I think you should have a, you know, a hybrid of some, you know, you need some coaching, some I've actually, mm-hmm. I've tried coaching a few times and whether I just didn't want to listen or uh, I picked the wrong coach or whatever. I haven't really got that much out of the coaching that I've paid for so far. And again, it's what you pay to, you know, if you, you know, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. You, you heard yeah. That, uh, so, <laughs> I haven't heard that exact phrase, but that's yeah. a great phrase. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I haven't paid the big dollars yet. Mm-hmm. I've thought about it a few times. You know, the, my biggest reason for not paying the big guru type of guys a bunch of money is because I know my own laziness. And Mm -hmm. I know that if I'm not doing my homework now, paying someone 50 grand is not going to make me do my homework, right? All it's going to do is give me more homework. And until I'm ready, which I'm pretty close now, to be honest, they say when the student is ready, the coach will appear, (laughs) you know, ancient Chinese, whatever. Uh, Yes, that is it. And I, I think I'm ready now, but I think I was too immature before. I think I was too bullheaded before. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of these things that uh, I wasn't ready to listen. So I would have blown 50 grand or 20 grand or whatever coach I went to see. I think I would have blown that money and would have just stubbornly did things the same way I was doing it before. Yeah. But uh, now that I'm a little more mature and I've done enough deals and I think I'm pretty close actually. So Yeah. And so one thing I thought would be kind of fun to discuss. So for some of the audience that have been like watching my channel forever, forever on YouTube, you'll recognize Dan. Dan was the one that owned the water park that I went and visited probably like a year and a half ago now. And so one of the interesting things, Dan, when we chatted way back then, and I'm pretty sure you'll remember it is I was telling you about how I used the burn investing strategy. And you warned me that I'd always be broke using it and that that was part of the reason or part of the thing that drew you towards the idea of flipping houses. And so I know Kellen currently is a really big uh, burr as well. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to dive into that a little bit further and just discuss your experiences burring properties for 10 years. And I think the one caveat there is the market you were burring in was Sarnia, Ontario. And so over those 10 years, I probably didn't see a lot of appreciation mm-hmm. where the last 10 years in Canada, we've seen significant appreciation. In and general. just to jump in for anyone who doesn't know what the Burr investing strategy is, it's buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. The idea is that after you buy a property that's undervalued, you renovate it, you increase the value of it, and you refinance the property, pull that equity out and reinvest it into the next property. And Dan has mentioned that he felt like he's often broke while implementing that strategy. And it's because 
the repeat stage, you pull that money out and now you have, you know, 50 grand or whatever it is and you purchase the next property. So you never end up with any money in your bank account. Yeah. Well, what's, what's dangerous. I think I was telling Matt there, what's dangerous about the burst strategy and which is, uh, I mean, it's fine. So if you're in a flat market, which Sarnia was a pretty flat market for mm-hmm. the last 30 years, doing the burst strategy is great, but you're never really getting those big equity gains. Yeah. If I was in Toronto, holy shit, I'd be <laughs> multimillionaire by now. It was just insane. What actually the rest of <laughs> The rest of Ontario, Sarnia is the armpit of Ontario. So we haven't seen those gains. We're actually seeing them now. They just start. All the real estate agents right now are completely freaking out because they've never actually seen multiple bids and uh, over asking. Right? What is That's this? new. More than 4% appreciation? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. So, I mean, I actually did quite well in my first, the first 10 years that I was doing my investing, I did the burst strategy and I actually didn't know that it was a burst strategy. Yeah. I didn't know that I was doing that. I thought it was some little thing that I was learned all by myself and, and exact, that's exactly what I was doing. I'd fix up a property and just uh, refinance it, take the money out and just do it all over again. That strategy works great, but I wasn't making very much equity gains on these properties. Like mm-hmm. for example, I'd buy a house for say 65,000, uh, which is unheard of today, but you know, buy a house for 65 grand you put, you know, 30,000, let's say into it or whatever, you're, you're somewhere in all in around a hundred. If it appraises around 130, 140, somewhere around there, when you go and uh, take it to the bank, they're going to, you know, if they finance up to 80, 80, 90%, you're basically getting a house for free. And that, that's what we did. So we did that for the first 10 houses. But the only problem is when you have those killer cash calls, now I would fix up these houses pretty nice. You know, I'd make sure the roof was done and make sure the firms was done, that kind of thing. But every now and then, you know, you might have a bunch of empties all at the same time for a couple, two, three months at a time or some, uh, you know, some kind of a disaster where a hot water tank blows up and, you know, mm-hmm. you, you literally got five or 10,000 worth of expenses. If you don't have that money sitting around somewhere, that really can hurt. And especially if you have to just go out and find it. So I had to do that on uh, several occasions. Whereas if you're, like I said, the market in the rest of Ontario for the last 10 years, you could literally shoot both your feet off, pay too much going in, screw up every renovation. And still at the end of the day, yeah. you're, you know, you still got money. So we, we walked through a property on the Weibo Limo Tour list last weekend and it was $300,000 and the walls were dripping with nicotine stains. It had been vacant for three years. And you know that whoever owned it still made a killing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> well, those days, you know, those days are going to end at some point. And uh, well, actually, the people in Toronto were actually some, some of them are starting to feel it now because the, the real estate's dropped. I mean, mind you, it went up. So high. You yeah. know. 200% in the last 10 years or something. And then it drops, it drops 30% and everybody's freaking out. But yeah. yeah, the equity gains that people have made in the last 10 years is just absolutely insane. And so for those 10 years of burn, you obviously were working very hard, like those yeah. the grindstone start yeah. stuff. Then you started pivoting into flipping houses to try and generate I more did. cash. I did. Yeah, because it, it makes sense. So if I keep the portfolio I had, you know, I was making some decent cash flow off of that. But get out of that hole. I thought if I could just buy one or two properties a year and then start doing flips. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I had a pretty good construction background, I actually had a construction business going on. Now, I wasn't doing as much as I was prior to that now because these it took quite a bit of time looking after all these properties now. I started flipping houses. And I thought, this is going to be the easiest money I ever made. Yeah. And it really, really was tough. The first few years were really tough. I flipped about... I think the first year I flipped like four homes and 
Second year I flipped. I only, I've actually only been doing it uh, it's about three or four years now. Time flies. The first year, I, like I said, I flipped about three or four homes. Second year, three or four. And then third year, I flipped. I thought, well, I'll flip more homes and make more money. And I actually made the same amount of money flipping three, yeah. three or four homes as wow. I did flipping 10. Because once all of a sudden you scale your business, you go through all the growing pains. And I yeah. went through every growing pain that you can imagine. You know, having three different crews. Uh, if you're not watching what's going on, if you don't have a really, really good system, mm-hmm. you could just, you know, and I started buying houses thinking everything I touched would turn to gold. And I found out, uh, you know, we were joking earlier about me just walking in and saying, yes, I'll take it, that kind of deal. I got cocky for a while there and I would uh, just because I bought a house for $25,000, no joke. Wow. A two story house, $25,000 I paid. I sold it for one eighty nine. <gasps> I broke even. <laughs> oh my God. How much did you put in? I that? paid 25 grand. Think about it. I paid <laughs> yeah. 25 grand for this house. Six months later, I sold it for 189. I broke even. So That's bad. how bad that flip went. Every single thing that could possibly go wrong went wow. wrong. You know, all these hidden things that were everywhere. You know, the electrical was supposed to be, you know, 15. It turned into 30. The furnace was supposed to be 10. It turned into 20. Just every single thing was uh, backwards. So the people out there, the listeners that are listening to this, the newbies out there, they think, you know, they watch too many TV shows about flip this house and stuff. Just because you get a house, you can get a house for free and lose money. Right? Yeah. You you can absolutely get a house for free and lose money. And I got cocky and I thought, yeah, buy, I got this house for 20. I told everybody I bought this house for when I bought it for 25 grand. I was bragging. I yeah. was feeling really good about myself. Yeah, yeah. Dan's so smart. Yeah, I spent, it was actually ended up about eight months actually by the time we got that thing sold, right? Because it was two months to sell it. But the, the flip itself took six months. But it was eight months. You have to figure, not only did I break even, it was eight months out of my life. I didn't, cons- I didn't yeah. add any of the time that yeah. I had in there. And I had a lot of money into that project. But anyway, so I, I learned in the first few years, whatever. That's the best way to learn. Yeah. And now I my you know what? It's always about systems. And I was lazy for the first 10 years and I didn't want to do systems and I didn't like paperwork and I'd like to pawn things off on other people. And uh, even though I was working hard every day, you know, it's it's figuring out the right things to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, if I'm running around doing $10 an hour jobs, I can just work until I'm, you know, 24 hours a day. Exactly. And you're not going to make any money. We see it with so many initial real estate investors where, you know, they're focused on saving that 10 or $15 an hour by painting their own property. But then that results in them not renting out their other property. Right. And when you really break it down and look at it, you probably could have found an easy substitute for your painting versus renting out that unit. Absolutely. Yeah. At the beginning, I was trying to focus on doing the jobs that, uh, you know, like, for example, I was good at everything. And that was actually a big problem, being good at everything. I was a jack of all trades. And I was literally fantastic at everything. So I thought, well, I'll just save money here. I'll save money there. You know, drywaller doesn't show up. Great. I'll do it. Uh, You know, the roofer's Mm -hmm. not here. I'll do it. And that was dumb. And that was one of the projects that I worked on that I really, really learned that, you know, if I have to wait a month for the right trade to show up, it's better to wait a month for that trade to show up and go work on something else than to just get in there and do it yourself sometimes because you literally just end up, it just ends up costing you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is kind of a good segue into 
very recently you've started really transitioning your business. Are you willing to kind of share that? You're looking at maybe selling a couple properties, yep. outsourcing your property management. Mm-hmm. Do you mind kind of talking through well, with the Well, part of the that? reason, sure. You know, we discussed this before, but part of the reason I'm selling uh, part of my portfolio is you start to get worn down, the whole being yeah. broke thing all the time. And you can have a million dollars on paper, but if you're going around in an old shitty beat up pickup truck, you're not dressing right, you're not feeling right, you're not going anywhere, you're not taking vacations, you're not do, you know what I mean? Like you're not celebrating the wins. Mm-hmm. So you have to stop, I think, sometime. And I'm only realizing that now, right? Money is nice, but having your sanity is another thing. <laughs> but also your personal, how you feel on the inside, I yeah. think is a big thing. And I think if you're going around and, you know, because I, I was actually the construction guy and I still am that guy. And I don't mind going around with my dirty jeans and my boots and whatever and and getting in there and getting dirty and doing that kind of stuff. But it was starting to feel like I was literally living like that. Like day and night, I'd be, you know, you get up in the morning, you put on your work stuff, it's all dirty. You go to work and then, you know, at night I'd come home, have supper and then I'd be running around doing other things. And it seemed like I was always in my old truck with my work stuff on. I didn't feel good on the inside. And, and it's not like, again, it's not about all money and everything. So that's part of the reason why I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a little break. I have plenty of years left to make money. You know, you're never going to lose that. You know, I've, I've gained that knowledge. It's not like it's going anywhere. I had to feed my inside a little bit. So selling a few properties and also having having a portfolio of 100 properties and they all look like shit, that doesn't do anybody any good either. <laughs> yeah. It's better to have five really nice looking properties or at least nicely run Mm-hmm. You know, because I once your properties start to get worn down, then you're you get start to get you know lower quality of tenants, yeah. right? And that creates more problems. It's a and yeah, it's a vicious cycle. It's a downhill spiral. I wasn't doing that, but I what I noticed was I wasn't growing. I was just sort of staying the same. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be uh, staying the same for ten years. So I want to grow. And I think the spending money to make money. I actually think that I think creating a better image for myself will will attract better people into my circle and you know and I want to be on that spiral going up instead of going down. How does this all fit into your long-term plan now or maybe even your short-term plan? For a long time it was definitely acquiring, acquiring, acquiring. Mm-hmm. Kind of want to sell some off, focus a bit more on your even even you can call it your mental health or just like, you know, just enjoying your life, living it the way you want to live it. So, what are some of your goals right now? How do you want to be living life? How do you want to take your business at this point? Well, it's a little more slow and steady now rather than just buying everything I can see and and just going got to make money got to make money got to make money now i'm now i'm more focusing on quality rather than quantity like i said earlier about i mean the year i did 10 flips i i made the same amount of money i did the year i sold or i i flipped three houses it's a matter of working smarter not harder yeah i I think that's that's what it's all about you know i we go to these real estate things all the time and the first question everybody asks you how many doors yeah. Every single one of those things. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dan. Hi, I'm Bob. How many doors do you have? Right? It's just yeah. just what everybody asks. It makes you not want to sell. Well, no, and it definitely is an ego thing. Yeah. And so like yeah. we haven't really talked about it on the podcast yet, but I'm looking at selling some properties and I'd be lying if I didn't say that part of my ego is the dude that owns X number of properties. Yeah. And so like it does take a bit of a mental shift to get past that burden of maybe I don't need to always be accumulating properties right yeah quality and you know what at the end of the day it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you can be there's guys out there that are i'm sure making a million dollars a year but they're blowing a million dollars a year right 
and you have to. It's all uh, about what you say, right? <laughs> it is about what you say. Yeah, I, I, my philosophy is more make more. But uh, yeah, I actually don't even. I don't even think about that stuff. So for me, you're funny about talking about savings. So for me, I don't see it as savings. I see it as adding to my net worth. That would sure, be. Absolutely. Uh, that would be. So that's the way I try to get a new high score. Yeah. That's what I look at. Game yeah. yeah. Because you know what? Saving actually doesn't make me feel good inside. So that's this, and maybe it's just, it's just me. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, when I think saving, I think lack. Yeah. Right. And I don't. Deprivation. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're not the first person. There's like, at least I've heard at least half a dozen people say at the end of every year, they're broke. And like, these are people who have significant net worths and it's because they don't want money sitting in their bank account. They don't want to be saving money. They want to be investing their money. And like whether they're buying into stocks or whether they're buying into real estate, they want to make sure their money's working for them. It's not just about putting it and sitting in a bank account. And I wanted to say, so you were talking about back when you were, I think, mid thirties, early thirties, and you said, "Now I got to start. I got to start thinking about my retirement and that kind of thing." What did your goal look like at that point, or did you have a goal? And, and no, hell no. no, I didn't have goals until last year. Like literally, <laughs> yeah. I, I just thought, well, I'll just get a bunch of properties, and my life will be good. Yeah. Right. So, so I was going to ask, like, how did it develop over time or did it kind of just now you just started thinking about it again? It's well, like, you know, this is a wealth podcast. This is a real estate podcast. It's a wealth podcast. It's financial independence. Anything related yeah. to real estate, wealth, yeah. finance. So, so I would probably not be the right guy to ask this stuff, but it's fun being on this podcast because <laughs> I've literally been winging it my entire investment career, whatever you want to call it, last 15 years. I've literally been winging it. And, and every time I've tried the goals... I don't like, again, it's not, it's just not my personality, but I've tried setting goals. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be one of these guys that come on here and say, oh yeah, every day I get up and I grant Cardone, I, you know, pull out the legal pad and I write down my goals. And then if you don't have goals, you're a dreamer and you know, all yeah. this stuff that people just say over and over and over. Well, I mean, I don't want to promote not having goals, but for me personally, uh, it just wasn't a huge thing that I focused on. That's really um, interesting. Yeah, I just knew that if I kept on, that you have to be smart, obviously, but I knew that buying real estate was my ticket to financial freedom or whatever, you know, my retirement. Yeah. And I knew that if I bought so many properties over a certain amount of time, that I would end up being able to retire, retire happy with a great income. Mind you, it might change. Uh, I'm maturing a little bit more and uh, I might start setting, you know, some type of goals. But every time I've set goals, I write them down and I say, okay, I'm going to do this. And it, and it never does. Never. It just never happens. Well, this could be an interesting thought exercise. So this might trigger you a bit, but lean fire is the idea of living on under 40000 a year. There's a lot of people who think that'd be more than enough. I know that like in my current living situation, it's almost half of that. And mm-hmm. a lot of that comes from house hacking, living for free. I mean, if I don't have to pay for my living expenses, then all I'm paying for is my food, transportation, travel, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I assume that you don't want to live on under 40000 a year. So with financial independence, we always talk about something called the 4% safe withdrawal rate. So if you were to say sell all of your properties and you would have X amount in your bank account at that yeah. point, mm-hmm. you can safely withdraw 4% of that total value every year essentially indefinitely. Yeah. So if you have a million dollars in the bank, Mm -hmm. you can withdraw $40,000 a year and spend all of that money 
And they'll still, and you'll indefinitely be able to use that million dollars. Mm-hmm. If you have $2 million. Living can, off the interest or living off the dividends. Exactly. Or living off whatever, yeah. If, you, if you're investing it in like index funds, kind of uh-huh. like ETFs. If you have $2 million, now you've got $80,000 a year to spend. Mm-hmm. If you've got $3 million, you've got $120,000 a year. Hallelujah. So, so, $10 million, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's the thing. Yeah. is like, have you ever thought about kind of how much it is you want to spend on an annual basis? Because that would really tell you how much it is. Like that would kind of tell you your goal, right? Like for my thought exercises, currently my travel involves going to Algonquin Park for 50 bucks and sleeping in the woods with my buddies kind of mm-hmm. thing and like having campfires. I love that. But there's a lot, and I mean, there's a good chance that'll change in the future. I might want to do a lot more, you know, t- expensive-ish travel, right? Like I love the idea of renting a motorcycle in Iceland and riding around for a month kind of thing. I think mm-hmm. that'd be a blast. This is how much it'd look like if I expand my lifestyle and now I spend $10,000 a year on travel or $20,000 a year on travel. Like at what point is it like, I wouldn't need to spend that much. Like, can you see yourself spending more than $150,000 so a year? So I spend, I'll tell you. Yeah. So, so I spend 100% less than 40,000 a year. Wow. And not by choice, just because I am happy with, you know, I've never actually calculated it, but I just know in the back of my head, I spend less than 40,000 a year for sure. Yeah. But I don't even want to figure out what I spend because I don't even care. Yeah. But I, I want to know that I'm investing for my future. You know, one thing I actually keep track of is my net worth. That's the only thing I keep track of. Yeah. Monthly expenses. I've actually never done that ever. Yeah. And I don't hope to God I never have to, you know, I just have a lifestyle that I'm accustomed to. I want to increase my lifestyle. You know, other people, I wouldn't recommend that. I mean, probably the smart thing to do is to look at what you spend every month, every year. You know, me, just me personally, that's not me at all. Yeah. I want to have so much money that I don't even think about that stuff (laughs) and I don't care. So do you know, is there a threshold for what amount of money you would know that you'd never have to have a care again? Oh, at least 10 million. Okay. At least. I think that's gone up a bit. I think we were talking last year and last year we were talking about, you were saying that you saw hard money lending as probably one of the major ways that you yep. would produce passive income yep, once you decided yep. to uh, check out. I'm pretty sure then you were at 5 million. Yeah. So that's funny that you say that. So I've actually thought about it after that conversation oh, Okay. and I don't think 5 million would cut it. Cause like, I guess my thoughts are with $5 million, if mainly that was in hard money lending, I'd probably expect an average return of, say, between 8 and 10%. If we use 10% yeah. just because it's a nice, really easy round number, yeah. we're talking 500000 Now, whether it's Uncle Sam or Uncle CRA is going to take their cuts, they're probably yeah. taking half of that. Yeah. So now we're dealing with about $250,000 a year in income mm-hmm. at the $5 million mark. Double that yeah. for $10 million. Yeah, I don't need that again, right? I don't need that yeah. because I'm certainly not spending that. But, but that would give you a certain level of flexibility level. where you would just never it, feel it, like you it have would to just make me. Anything. It would just give me a great comfort level. But now, remind you, I'm going to be – a lot of people spend less in their retirement. Yes. I, I plan on spending a hell of a lot more. And I think that's fair. I'm actually, I want I'm my retirement to respect, be spectacular. You know, yeah. I want to be taking off for a month at a time. Oh, I'm going to go to Europe for a month or I'm going to go to Africa for a month or I'm going to go whatever. If I want to buy a sports car, if I want, mm-hmm. again, I don't want to think, oh, geez, uh, the $125,000 sports car. And I don't know if this is going to fit into my budget and I don't know. And, oh, geez, the price of gas. I literally do not want to care in the yeah. world when I retire. I don't want to care. I want to be making way more money than I could even hope to spend. 
And that's that's my goal. And we talked about the five million. The five million would I sure would suffice. Mm-hmm. But why the hell would I limit myself to five million? Right? That's limited thinking. So are you giving yourself a, a time range then? Like is there a certain age no. point where you're like, no matter what, I'm gonna have to pull the trigger and retire at that point? No, I think I'll just know when I've had enough. Yeah. When that time comes, your circle will also tell you, right? The close friends that you have, you're going to notice possibly that your friends, Kellen, friends are retiring. <laughs> right? Yeah, your friends are retiring or whatever. That's funny. That's, that's hilarious. Well, I just turned 28 yesterday, so uh, it's a yeah, big inflection coming, point. Coming to be tired. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have all this time on your hands. So you're sort of semi-retired, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Matt's yeah. been semi-retired for a couple of years now. years. 31. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. So... But it's it's all the with you know the lifestyle you want. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, with Matt, he quit his job, and that's technically you know we're going to use the word retirement. But I know I'm pretty sure he's working just as hard, if not harder, than he has spending more hours in the day yeah. working on projects that he wants to be working on. And that's that's what we were talking about earlier before the show is it's not about retiring. In the kind of people that we hang out with, and the kind of people who reach these goals, they're not the kind of people who are just going to stop. They're the kind of people who grind and who enjoy the thrill of the deal and who enjoy yeah. mm-hmm. working their asses off and seeing the, the fruits of their labor. These are the kind of people who don't need to worry. They want the passive income so they don't have to think about working. But they honestly probably won't even need that passive income because they're going to keep working. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also better to shoot for 10 and end up with five than shoot for five and end up with yes. two. Yeah. So I'm not really shooting for anything, but in the back of my mind, it's That's just the yeah. benchmark. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it'd be great to make it to 10. You know, the funny thing is, is that if you watch any of these big, uh, you know, like the Grant Cardone's out there or the Gary Wees or the whatever, all those kinds of guys, mm-hmm. one big break, you know, one lucky deal, one whatever. And you can really go up that ladder because you go from, say, you know, net worth to one million to say, well, actually, you don't even have to do any of this crazy stuff. If you were in a friend of mine in Toronto who has a, a real estate group, he has I think it's 25 properties, 25 properties. So two years ago, he sent out a Facebook to his friends okay. a message or whatever and said his properties is 25 single family homes. Okay. Okay. And they're not paid off or anything. They're, yeah. they're, he's got mortgages on all. Okay. 25 single family homes. In one year, they went up seven and a half million dollars. <laughs> wow. In one year. Yeah. Okay. So just and people don't even think of that stuff. Your life can change. Do you think he thought of that? You think that he thought, you know, like, oh, in the next three years, my properties are going to go up. $10 million. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he never had any idea that was going to happen, right? But yeah. you, you hope you buy these 25 properties or whatever, and you hope they go up 4% a year, or yeah. 8% a year, whatever. Hopefully they don't go down. Yeah. And maybe over the course of 10, 15 years, they get paid down to almost nothing yeah. or whatever. And this is what your retirement's going to be. But you don't know. You don't mm-hmm. know if your the property values in your city or whatever are going to go through the roof. You don't know any of this stuff. Yeah, it's so, very unpredictable. Yeah. That's why we usually just tend to look at cash flow, mortgage pay down, and if you get appreciation, cherry on the cake. Yeah, that uh, that plaza that I bought there, the water park one. Yeah. Okay. So it's 10 acres, mm-hmm. huge property. And it's right in the section of, of town that the city has no choice, but we're going that direction. To grow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, two years ago, I thought, wow, if someday I could get a million dollars for this property, how amazing would that be? Yeah. Now, realistically, I could get $3 million, right? You don't mm-hmm. know. 
You literally don't know. You could be the spot for the next Costco. You could be the whatever. Yeah. You don't literally don't know. You could start a uh, business that could, could really take off. Someone could need that for some. I mean, you're not going to find you're not going to find oil or anything. But uh, <laughs> you know, if Sarnia goes through a crazy boom, mm-hmm. like uh, which some of these others, unreasonable. which isn't unreasonable, the value of that property could double easily in five years. I mean, I'd love to sell it for $3 million and literally retire on my 10% from lending out money. Yeah. Who knows what so the lesson happen. here is never sell. You <laughs> never know what'll happen. Well, no, I'm selling, <laughs> I'm selling now because you know what? You have to, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier. I, I talk to people in real estate and they say, yeah, they totally regret selling anything. Because some of my properties right now, to be honest with you, I'm selling three properties. I'm going to make some pretty good money. Next year, 100%, and I'm 100% sure of this, the properties I'm selling today are going to be worth 100000 at minimum more than what I'm selling them for right now. So that's killing me. Mm. That is killing it, me. It right? is, but, but I think you need to think about the mental bandwidth that's going to free yeah, up. And absolutely. what are you going to do with those new profits? You're, you're 100% right. I have to think about that. And I think about what it's going to do for me right now. I can't think about what's, you know, you can't look at, can't look backwards. You always have to look yeah. backwards. And so I think maybe before we dive into the fire four, I just had one more question. So What have friends and family said throughout your journey? They've been pretty supportive. They do the typical, uh, you know, my brother's, uh, oh, be careful. You're going to lose your money. You're crazy, all that stuff. My brother's not, haven't been very supportive, but not in a very negative way, but just in a, he's, you know, he's paranoid. He doesn't want to, he doesn't like investing or whatever. He has no money. He has no money because he Mm -hmm. has that mentality, no risk, right? Just everything's safe, safe, safe. You know, my sisters, uh, you know, they're, they're supportive. My parents are pretty supportive. And I've been extremely lucky that uh, my partner that I've chosen in life has been hugely supportive. So uh, I think that's huge. Yeah, Massive. huge. Yeah, I got really lucky. The funny thing about that, my partner, Kim, that I'm with now. So we started dating right when I bought my first property. And I was a complete maniac back then. And this so, yeah, the I used to party. Yeah, I used to party hard. In my warehouse, I used to have a beer fridge and it was always full. You know, every day after work, all the guys would drink and get drunk and whatever. And then we'd go start tearing your apartment apart. And do whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was, this was all the time. It was absolute insanity. And I was dealing with, you know, crazy tenants in that building at first and stuff. So the first few years that we were together were completely crazy. And then, you know, after, after a few years of that, she said, listen, this is just a little too crazy <laughs> for me. We got to, you know, we got to call it quits. And I said, no, 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 just, just stick around a little longer. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And, uh, thank Thank God it did, but uh, boy, we had, yeah, but no, she's been a hundred percent supportive, and my my family's pretty good. They know that no matter what they say to me, I'm not going to listen anyway. <laughs> I, I'm just going to go do what I'm going to do. And uh, it seems like a resounding theme in a lot. Yeah. Of this. Yes. <laughs> well, I think you almost have to be that stubborn or that crazy, right? Because there's always going to be doubters, and quite frequently there'll be haters too. So let's jump into the fire four, Dan. So we'd like to ask the same four questions of all of our guests. And all so right. the first one is a. Uh, it's inspired by our good friend, Paul Plumstead. And the question simply is, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for an amazing partner. You know, my, my girlfriend, I'm, I'm grateful to her for uh, being so supportive all, all these years. Awesome. That was an easy answer. Yeah. yeah. So what is a guilty pleasure or maybe a tool or something in life that you can't live without? I'd have to say it's tools. 
I'm a tool nut. I'm actually a car nut too, but I don't have that kind of money to be spending. So for me, a guilty pleasure is tools. I'm like literally Tim the Tool Man Taylor kind of guy, or I'm like Brian Baumler. What color? All your tools yellow or red? No, but uh, yeah, well, you get, you start to actually, you start to lean towards a brand, right? There's DeWalt, there's, you know, Makita, whatever. Even though I have, I think tools should be made better than what they are. They're really plasticky nowadays, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you drop it, they break or whatever. It's not the best, but I'm actually starting to spend ridiculous money on nice stuff like i went and bought you know new table saws and new chop saws and yeah i don't i don't scrimp on on tools now i used to buy whatever i could afford and that's terrible thinking because you want the best tools for the job and so that is a guilty pleasure awesome and so is there a frugality tip or life hack that you'd like to uh, share with our audience so maybe just some way a that's tip on how they can funny. save money or yes, that is really <laughs> funny. That's really funny. Yeah, what is a life hack? Mm, I gotta try to think of a good one here. That is really funny because I'm not the saver guy, right? That is really funny. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would just say go with the generic thing. If you gave me some time to think of it, you get, if you sent me the questions earlier, I, I could have thought of a good it's life not, hack. Maybe but. for you, it's focus on the top line and not the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. Focus on earning more and not necessarily spending less. I don't know. I, I, I'll give you a good life hack. I just, my truck that I absolutely love, it's like a 2003 Dodge Ram. The, the wheel wells on all these old trucks, they start to go out, right? They rust mm-hmm. out on the, mm-hmm. on the wheel wells. And your truck can literally go from looking like a $50,000 truck to yeah. a $10,000 truck if your, rust, your wheel wells are rusted mm-hmm. out. I was going to go buy a new truck. And, and then I thought, you know what? Oh, geez, I don't know. Spend 50 grand. So I sent away for one of those, it's wheel well covers. And mm-hmm. it looked like the mudders oh, or whatever okay, they call yeah. that, the plastic looking mm-hmm. ones or whatever. Well, I put those things on my truck the other, this weekend. And I swear to God, it looks like I have a brand new truck. <laughs> my truck went from a $10,000 truck to a $50,000 truck in uh, literally one weekend by putting some plastic wheel wells. That's actually that. a really That's good. A great tip. Yeah, absolutely. it looks amazing. It looks absolutely amazing. So what would the hero of your own movie do right now in your life? Public speaking. Public speaking. Hey, you're taking the first step right 100% now. 100% is public speaking. That, is, that has been like my worst fear my entire life. You know, every year I say, oh, this is the year. Oh, this is the year. And I just never, I chicken out, I chicken out, I chicken out. I'm getting better for sure. Before I couldn't even, I couldn't even do walking around with my phone on a selfie stick. I couldn't even look at look at the video. I couldn't even look at my camera. I was so We've all gone paranoid. Through We've all gone mm-hmm. through it. Yeah. So I'm slowly, very slowly getting into there. But yeah, I public speaking 100%. I've dreamed my whole life of being able to, to do public speaking. And I think I could really help some people. I think that's what ultimately at the end of the day, that's what you want to do. I think that's the ultimate goal in life is to be able to help people, help other people. And I think I could probably help a lot of people if I could just get my public speaking game going. We're going to get your public speaking game. Yeah. I think we got some opportunities. (laughs) Yeah. So once that. Yeah. This year is going to be transformative. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So that. Yeah. No, that was a perfect answer. So yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show, Dan. And before we wrap up, we always like to get our guests to ask our audience a question. And so just as an example, what uh, some previous guests have asked, Michael Rosard asked, what's enough? When do you know you have enough money? Our buddy Tom asked simply, where would you like to travel to? If you could retire anywhere yeah. in the world, where would you want to retire? I would ask the same question you guys asked me about, you know, my number, my number, you know, yet last year was 5 million. I think this year it's 10 million. So I would ask you guys, what is your number? 
Oh, do you have to ask us? That's interesting. I'm never- <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first of all, audience, jump on the Facebook page and you can answer Stan's question about what is enough. But I don't think me and Kellen should get off easy on this one. So <laughs> I'll go first, Kellen. So it is difficult for me to actually say what is enough. I've been doing a lot of reflecting on it recently. And part of that reflection has led me to the idea of selling off some of my properties when I've literally never sold a property before. And what is enough? I honestly think enough in theory for me is $50,000 a year in passive income. However, whatever my reptilian brain or whatever you want to call it, wouldn't accept that as an answer either. Same with why Dan wants 10 instead of five. So I think that realistically for me, for me to never think again about money, $100,000 in very passive, very safe income would be enough. And what do I think that looks like? I honestly think that that's still something relatively modest. I think that that's maybe 1.5 to $2 million and liquid kind of net assets that would give me enough. Yeah. I don't have a good answer to this question, but definitely for me right now, I'm spending somewhere around 25,000 a year. I think if I doubled that as well, ironically, a pretty similar number would probably be more than enough for me. But I think that the question really comes down to when do you stop? When do you stop working? When do you stop growing? Not necessarily when do you have enough money? And for me, I think that first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to stop when I don't enjoy it anymore. So at that time, I'm going to regear whatever it is I'm working on to make sure that I'm working on whatever the thing that the thing I want to be doing. And if that has, if that earns me no profit, if that's me sitting around watching Netflix all day, which it definitely isn't, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop working when I don't enjoy it anymore. Awesome. Perfect. Well, yeah, thanks again, Dan. And so if anyone wants to follow along with uh, Dan's journey, you can find him on YouTube. Uh, We'll put a link in the uh, podcast description as well as, we're going to get him on Instagram right now. He's got two Instagram accounts, so we got to figure out which one he's going to get rid of. <laughs> I noticed that, break, but we will get. I have one two for Facebook him. too. Yes, so it's yeah, it's very messy right now. We're going to clean up his social media problem soon, guys. Yes. So just hang in there, Kitty. But we'll put a link to it. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being on the show, Dan. That was awesome. Dan's such an open and genuine guy. I really appreciate his honesty and his insights into getting cocky in real estate and thinking you've got the Midas touched. There's been a few times I came close to that and a few times I know I've fallen into that trap. I remember the first time I met Dan, I had no idea that he had an empire of properties. He came across as a very down-to-earth person. He was willing to teach and still open-minded to continue learning. And while you're waiting for the next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London on Fire community and follow us on Instagram at onfirepodcast. And make sure to tune in to the next On Fire podcast to meet more people, hear their stories, and learn from their mistakes. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen, signing off. And until next episode, remember, being normal. Buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what Carol Burnett said. Only I can change my life. No one can do it for me. I hope they left us a written review.